Hey there, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is a special episode we are dedicating to the late, great John Clayton. For those of you who know me, you know I worked with John back in the late 90s at KJR in Seattle. For those of you who don't know, our friendship continued through the years. Uh, we talked a lot uh, over the years. As a matter of fact, the last conversation I had with John was about six weeks prior to the recording of this episode when my father passed away. Uh, John reached out to me. Um, we spoke in 2020 a great deal because he was helping me out with our Jets coverage when I was doing this stuff for Sports Illustrated. We kept in touch over the years. I knew how his family was. Seattle has always been a very uh, special place in my heart. Um, I lived there for four years from 1998 to 2001. And when I worked at KJR, uh, I hosted the Noon to Three Saturday show, in addition to being the sportscast, uh, sports director and the uh, cover the Mariners. And that job, what that meant, John Clayton for decades uh, hosted Nine to Noon. And we would, you know, our shows would butt up against each other and we would do crosstalk, but what it would turn into in these massive debates. And I really had to bone up. I had to really study and, and know my facts and be ready for the debate because John Clayton uh, knew his stuff. And generally, it was never NFL stuff. We would talk about baseball because his whole show was, was mostly NFL, and he wanted to have at least some time to talk about other sports. And that's what I presented uh, to him. Today on the show, we have a treasure trove of Seattle and broadcasting royalty. Uh, first of all, we can say that on ESPN, John was an absolute superstar. He used to host Four Downs with Sean Salisbury, and Sean was kind enough to give us a few minutes uh, to be on this podcast. Uh, when he was at KJR, he worked with radio icons Dave Grosby, uh, Mike Gastineau, who's been on Sports with Friends before, Dave Softy Mahler, who's been on Sports with Friends before. Um, all three of them will join us here on the podcast. Uh, the guy who uh, replaced John Clayton as the beat reporter for the Seattle Seahawks for the Tacoma News Tribune, Mike Sando, is now a senior NFL writer for The Athletic. He is going to join us here on this podcast, as is longtime columnist, now author, Dave Bowling who is a, a colleague of John's for decades. Uh, these people, when they heard that we were putting this podcast together, they literally reached out and said, how can I be a part of it? How can I help this podcast? We are not going to ignore the Sweet 16, the NCAA tournament. And for that, we will bring in the head odds maker for BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow, to break down the brackets and uh, all the games that are still left. Patrick, give us a preview. Sweet 16 is upon us, and my bracket is officially busted. Thanks, as always. Um, before we get to our first guest, I wanted to just play you a little bit of a recent Zoom call that John and I did. Um, this was an interview I was conducting for Sports Illustrated about the Jets. And I, the, the, whatever the subject is not relevant. What's relevant is we talked about how he was so concise and so solid on the air. Uh, 
I had misgivings about playing this, but you know what? There were times when he and I spoke that we talked about him doing a, an episode of Sports with Friends. And unfortunately, those were phone calls, not Zoom calls, or else I'd have that. You know, I wish I could have that where he openly said I, he wanted to be on the podcast. And I was honored, you know, that, that he, I just never thought I would have a deadline. You know, I, I never thought that, uh, you know, he wouldn't be part of uh, of my stratosphere. Um, I never worried that it, they were, I would run out of time to have him on Sports with Friends and I'll forever regret uh, not doing an episode of this podcast with the great uh, John Clayton. This is our conversation from a couple of years ago when I was covering the Jets. We hosted video chats and we did these video segments and uh, here's the interaction between me and John. No, I agree. It's worse. Timing of it, hey, they needed to make changes on the offensive line. I think everybody realized it. But was this the year to make this many changes? Because you have some of the same situations going down in Miami that's going on with the New York Jets. When you change four out of five starters and you go in and uh, try to do it at a time where there's no preseason games and obviously there's no chance for the uh, Austin program to go. Now, of course, when they made a lot of these moves, they didn't realize this was going to happen. But it was too much, and that, I think, was not good. And with the mistakes that they're making, they're against themselves. You are so good at your job. I can't even get it. Oh, my God. You know how to do it concise. You know, you're, you're like. I, don't, I don't make it longer understand. than 45 seconds. <laughs> you're, 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 you make it so easy. All right, my friend. I will okay. uh, talk to you soon. Stay okay. well, and uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. The great John Clayton. Uh, John's star rose when he got to ESPN. He was already a megastar when I met him in 1998. I think the best thing that I saw on social media was the commercial, uh, this great commercial that they would um, make with, for SportsCenter with, with John Clayton in it. Uh, it's just the audio, but uh, enough of you are listening to this podcast that will remember it, and I thought this uh, would bring a, a great smile to people's face. It's hard to find an expert more dedicated than John Clayton. He's the consummate pro. We'll see how the 4-3 and the cover three work together. John Clayton with the lead. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Whenever we need a brilliant insight, he's available at the drop of a hat. Hey, Ma! I'm done with my segment! And so let's start the tributes and let's uh, begin this amazing, amazing tribute to a great guy, a great friend and an amazing NFL insider. And now we welcome in another former colleague of uh, John's uh, senior writer for The Athletic, Mike Sando, formerly of the Tacoma News Tribune. When I was living in Seattle, he was Tacoma News Tribune. That's how uh, way back we go. Uh, Mike, I wish it was under better circumstances, but I really am thrilled to talk to you. Um, you heard the news, just like everyone else, probably saw it on social media. Um, what initially went through your mind? Well, John and I, for so many years, I mean, shoot, John probably called me three or four times a day, seven days a week for my entire time of oh my covering God. the Seahawks for nine years. Uh, that continued through me being at ESPN. I mean, uh, unbelievable amount of interaction he really took me under his wing when i came on to replace him as the beat reporter at the news tribune so we have 
I mean, John's Which like was like 20 some odd years ago, right? Yeah, 1998. John, John's like a brother to me. I mean, I, I would say that I haven't spoken to anyone more on the phone in the last 24 years than John. And, and, it's, and it's pr- with John, it's probably five times as much as the second place person, whoever that is. Like, I couldn't name the second person. Okay. That's crazy. And that's because John was insane. I mean, he was absolutely the most dedicated. He worked all the time. And he took pride in that. That's what he wanted to do. It's not like John had four kids, right? I mean, John had, of course, he's married to Pat and very devoted to Pat. And, and, and took care of Pat, you know, through a Pat, lot of, a lot of courage. Yeah. But John was all about um, his work and his, and his job. And so uh, being the, being a beat reporter, you know, covering the team that he covered Seahawks, I mean, I couldn't have had a better resource than John Clayton. I mean, he was on the beat. He's probably the best beat writer in the country. And he really built it into something. So when I found out, I found out before social media that I knew, I knew that John wasn't doing as well lately. Um, I could sense that. I mean, he didn't sound right. Uh, his, some of his radio hits were not like John. I thought, you know, John was like adamant the CX weren't going to trade Russell Wilson. Well, the John Clayton we've all known, I mean, he would have been, to me, that wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? I think John was... Because he would have known because he would have yeah. known the teams that were reaching out. And oh, absolutely. I mean, he John, would have known what Russell was yeah. interested in. I think so. So so I felt like, oh, something wasn't right recently, you know, and I, I think that he was uh, having, obviously, some health problems. And yeah. But what's John's way to fight through that? Just keep working. Yeah. John's not going to take a week off, Okay. John's not going to be like, you know, I got to go get some R&R. I'm going to go hire a, uh, you know, a personal trainer and I'm going to get into shape. No, John's going to sit down and dive into his uh, roster database and make sure he's got all the team salary cap info updated uh, for every team in the league. Right. I mean, that, that's the type of thing. That, that's just all John knew. So I was worried a little bit, not that something like this would happen, but I, but I just felt, you know, something wasn't quite the same with John and uh, you know, he worked right until the very end. And then, but by the time we knew that he was um, uh, in the hospital, uh, it was kind of too late. So I didn't even, the last time I talked to John was the day Russell, we found out that Russell Wilson was traded. I think it was whatever that was March 8th or something. And normally we would talk every day or every couple of days, but a, a, couple a few days went by and i learned in retrospect that john wasn't uh doing as well and so once we found out that it was like this and this grave i mean what a you know you're just blown away it's just, death is so final you know of course i mean if we could have known um that it was anything like that shoot i would have gone over there and pulled him out of his chair and got him to the hospital a month ago right or or whatever but well, if i if i could just respond to that i mean uh, a, a good friend of mine, Mel Antonin, a longtime baseball writer, uh, I knew he was in bad health. You know, COVID really did a number on him and he passed. But I had reached out to him and I said, if you're ever strong enough, I'd love to have you on this podcast. And when Mel Antonin died, I casually said to some friends, I said, who must I reach out to immediately? because I'm so proud of the podcast that Mel and I did. It's my goodbye to him. You know what I'm saying? And I never considered John. I never considered. Now I've talked to John about coming on sports with friends, 
but it was no rush. There was never a rush. It was not that big a thing. And I recently lost my father in the beginning of February and John called and offered condolences. And in that conversation, which was maybe six minutes because it was during the, you know, Jewish people do the sitting Shiva and I didn't want to be rude to the, the, the people that I was with. So it was a quicker conversation. I didn't even ask how he was. You know what I said? I said, how's Pat? Yeah. That's what you do. That, that's, that's what you consistent. do to John Clayton. You don't you don't ask about yeah. John. You ask about Pat. Yeah. That's the one. Plus, John's just such a constant. I mean, he's been the exact same for. Right. And he's just he's just John. You know, he's he's there. So. Oh, man, yeah, it kind of hit me on, uh, you know, so I guess John died Friday, Friday night. It really kind of hit me because, you know, 24 years of my career, my entire career covering the NFL. Um, you know, is really closely intertwined to John from following him there. I was just having all these reflections of, you know, kind of almost my own life and his and, and uh, all the times we'd travel together on the road or, uh, and you just, you know, you just, it got pretty heavy. Now, since then, it's kind of been, I've talked to so many people like yourself and my text messages have blown up. I've heard from coaches, general managers, um, other reporters, and that has actually been very uplifting that, you know, you sort of get strength from, in fact, I was talking to uh, John's sister today. I, I didn't, I never talked to John's sister before, but right. we were talking about John's stories, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, uh, it was great. It was great. So when we have these people that knew John like that, you know, you can really, you can start having fun again, telling stories, funny stuff about him. I mean, some of the things about John were, you know, uniquely John, uh, they're funny little things, just little personal things about them that were, uh, funny or ridiculous, um, that made John, John. There's uh, no, no, no question about it. When, when you were having these conversations, um, he was a bit of a mentor to you as you, I'm just going on what you're saying, Yeah. but he's also peppering you for information that, that he had a, you for every team. Oh yeah. In in essence. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. John stayed very much in touch with beat writers around the country because they were his eyes. And you ears know, they were the, the lifeline. Yeah, right. That's the yeah. only way and to then, cover 32 teams is to know the people who who know. Absolutely. And then remember, I said he updated his salary database and for years together, he and I each maintained our own rosters for every team in the league. And we'd have to update those things every day. And it was kind of a you know, John brought. I wrote this in a tribute piece that's going to be on the athletic uh, here soon, no later than Monday um, about how John kind of took granular beat reporting national. You know, when you're covering a single team, you can really dive into the roster, the minutia, uh, the injury reports, the who's going to be active, all of that. John extended that to all 32 teams. Um, I think some of that he had momentum because he was really hitting his stride uh, at about the time that uh, the salary cap came in. I mean, John was really, you know, a top five in the country beat reporter at that time. Um, And he got such a knowledge of the, of that, which was a huge thing that revolutionized how the game was covered. So John was at the cutting edge of understanding the cap. Well, if you understand the cap, then you understand rosters, you understand decisions, you can predict what's going to happen. You can anticipate how teams are going to act because a lot of it has to do with the cap and the salaries and the money. That gave John a huge edge. I I think his interest in that, you know, John's always kind of a, 
uh, an amateur CPA. He always like reveled in doing his own taxes or, you know, that type of stuff. That's just how he thinks. But the so, business of things, yeah. not the, not the, yeah. how to, how an interior lineman would, you know, get yeah. the edge on a, on an offensive guard. Yeah. But he would like, he was interested in that stuff too. You know, he, he wanted to learn about all aspects of the game, but, but I think that was really the foundation um, for John's run of kind of dominance and, and really becoming great at what he did. And then, you know, the, the work it takes to maintain rosters for all the teams and care, I mean, it's, it's very tedious, but it's sort of the, uh, the rigor or the calisthenics of the profession that if you, you do them, you don't get the benefit of doing it for one day, but if you do it every day forever, you're in really good shape. And that's really what John was. I mean, until the end, John was still doing that now. And John's, you know, he didn't have to do it. He's John Clayton. Right. Um, finally, uh, the people that we're putting on this podcast all have a professional connection to him. You know, the consummate worker, you know, that, that, that that's to me, yeah. you know, the people that, that you talk to. What I've been amazed by is social media. And I follow a good handful of people that are not even in the industry that are, writing tributes and saying nice things. And it really has been amazed. I don't ever think about people's legacies that way, but when you think about it now that, as you said, very eloquently, things are final. How is John Clayton remembered? Is is he going to be remembered as one of the great NFL insiders of all time? He absolutely is. You know, I think historically Will McDonough was probably the first, uh, you know, information reporter of the nfl who made it big on tv not for his bombastic personality or ability to debate or that he had uh, movie star looks right i mean will mcdonough look kind of like john clayton right i mean these are two guys who were had beat reporter roots and a beat reporter mentality dogged tough fair complete um and i would say will mcdonough was the number one trailblazer to that and then uh John Clayton then was the next uh, to, to really be big. And I thought it, that's one of the cool things about that sports center commercial, you know, the, yeah, with yeah, him yeah. in the Slayer shirt and stuff, yeah, yeah, because that really put him yeah. over the top that put him over the top. Cause John went from being a well-known reporter to being a cult hero yeah. icon. We couldn't walk 10 feet across somewhere with John Clayton without five people wanting to do selfies <laughs> that put John on a different, that put John on elevated his plane and kind of cemented him, right? It sort of, it kind of capped it off for John uh, and, and, and sustained him over the final years as, you know, somebody who, um, not that he wasn't going to always be remembered, but it's just, you know, it, it made him a different level of, of kind of famous. Well, and, and the changes that ESPN has gone through, you know, I don't think, you know, now it's become more about social media and it's become more about, you know, not the story. It's just make sure you have the tweet first, you know, that, that that's, that's how it's changed. And I think that John, the time for John to be at ESPN was the right time, both for ESPN and they had the right guy. And it just oh, yeah. seemed like the, the, the technology was what the technology was. And you now you mentioned the hits, you know, you had to do a hit, you know, radio was was the king at that point you know oh, sports man, radio yeah. had exploded and he was on every radio station and, and yes yeah, still was doing a ton of them oh always when when i got and i'll probably take this out of the podcast when covid hit sports illustrated asked me to do jets coverage because i lived so close to the 
the, the comp, I live like 10 minutes from their facility. And we started doing these video interviews and I, you know, John had checked in and he said, can I do your, your, be your Jets insider? <laughs> what? And I said, I don't think of you in that way. He knew everything that they were doing all the time. And what I'm going to try to find, and I'm going to have at the beginning of the podcast is we did zooms like this because it was COVID yeah. time. And there's a part where I say, Hey man, I have to get you on my sports with friends podcast. And he says, I'm all in like, like, yeah, let's just set it up. When, when do you want to do it? Yep. I, I, I have to, that's my project for the next three days. I, I have to change that. I have to get that audio. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, he's, he was something else really one of a <laughs> kind, you know, I just, we're all going to miss him. Um, I think it's going to hit me at different times uh, of the year. Cause there were always times that John would call. I mean, he called all the time anyway, but you know, I'll give you an example. Like when the pro bowl val validating came out, that was always a big deal for John because he was entered into who had made it. And you know, some of that affects contracts and what, what are sure. guys going to get a bonus or whatever. Sure. So, I mean, when those would come out, John would be like, Hey, I, I got the, I got the early list. I got the early list. Yep. Here it is. And so he would send me that thing, you know, and it would just be like clockwork. That would be John. He's going to send that right. Uh, there's just certain times of the year when, or times of the week, you know, he was always, I would, he was always asking me if I could get him uh, the personnel group information. I had the way to get it, you know, this export thing. He'd always want that, you know, there's just a million little things like that little interactions that we had, things that we did, th things that we'd talk about. Um, I just know I'm in a column sometime, you know, just because that's what you did. Yeah. And it's, it's ingrained in me, my entire professional, you know, my entire NFL life, life. has been, uh, he's been a big part of it. So it's a, well, it's a big loss. I say this from the bottom of my heart, man, I'm so sorry for your loss and, you know, I'm so honored that you took some time out to tell these stories because there's going to be a lot of people who listen, you know, yeah, I think a lot of Seattle people will listen, but people who aren't in Seattle area are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to hear this and they're going to say, wow, this guy was really, really thorough and really intense. Oh yeah. And you were very lucky to have that kind of a, a cohort, you know, so that, that kind of a person uh, in your, in your stratosphere. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. And I'm sorry for your loss. Absolutely. He's like a brother, you know, John was like a brother. So, and he was like that to a lot of people, but I had a special, I had a special bond with John because I replaced him at the news tribune. You want to talk about big shoes. I, I had covered, uh, I had never covered the NFL. I had two years of major college experience and maybe five years of smaller college stuff coming in to replace John Clayton. That is, I had no idea what I was getting into, but it was the best possible thing that could happen because he had set such a standard and then he included me and it's amazing and really showed me how to do it that's amazing it truly is uh incredible mike thanks so much for doing this and let's talk again under much better circumstances absolutely thank you we will continue this special tribute podcast to the late john clayton in just a moment it is also ncaa sweet 16 week and for that there are odds and all things going on in the world of sports gambling. We bring on the head odds maker at Bovada, Patrick Morrow. All right, let's take a look at this week's Sweet 16 brackets. Uh, we'll start out west like we did last week. Uh, Gonzaga advanced 
to the Sweet 16. Uh, they will take on Arkansas, and Texas Tech will take on Mike Shashevsky and Duke. I know Duke is the emotional pick. It's uh, Shashevsky's last year. What do you say about the West region? Yeah, a lot going on there. Uh, let's start with Gonzaga, Arkansas, two teams that uh, they're here, but uh, they didn't get there cleanly. Gonzaga struggled in both of their first two games of the tournament. Arkansas had a lot of trouble uh, closing out uh, Vermont, but, uh, you know, doesn't change the fact that Gonzaga is still the top of our efficiency ratings at Bavada. We consider them still the best team remaining uh, in the tournament. They are currently eight and a half point favorites in this one, Seth, minus 395 on the money line. Uh, we're seeing a little bit split action here. We're seeing Arkansas a little bit more money on the handicap. We're seeing still the best team standing. Again, eight and a half point favorites at Bavada. All right, let's jump over to the Midwest. Uh, that's where the top seed Kansas has advanced. Uh, they'll take on fourth seed Providence. And then you have a 10 versus 11. Uh, Miami had the big upset of Auburn. Uh, Iowa State, the massive upset of Wisconsin. So Iowa State takes on Miami. They had to go back to Florida to get their home uniforms because they're the higher seed there for the Hurricanes up against the Cyclones. Looking at the action itself, Iowa State currently a two and a half point underdog. So the Miami Hurricanes, uh, ACC, uh, doing much better than expected so far in this tournament uh you know it's always luck of the draw who you end up uh, getting sorted against but hey they're there they're winning strong results uh miami is currently two and a half point favorites as noted and uh they are getting about 85 percent of all bets at the bottom so not a lot of love for iowa state looking at kansas providence kansas is currently a seven point favorite at the vada right now and the providence friars getting a little bit more action so uh interesting to see uh, we might see this line on the move but again currently they are seven point favorites uh rock chalk jayhawk best team remaining in the midwest uh excited to see them live i've personally had a lot of uh, love and hate for this team uh, for my own betting past uh they've either gone too far or not far enough for me in various tournaments over the years but excited to see what bill self and those guys can do in person in chicago all right let's jump on the south bracket you referenced tcu they gave arizona a scare arizona survives they'll face houston who upset illinois in the record four or five it's not really an upset the massive upset is the michigan wolverines can't you hear the joy in my voice um <laughs> they'll take on uh, the two seed Villanova. Uh, some super compelling games in the South. Uh, you referenced Michigan, uh, a, a team that uh, two, three weeks ago, wasn't even sure that they'd even be playing in March Madness. They really had to get some late season wins under the belt, a little bit of a run in the big 10 tourney, just to bolster up that resume to even be playing. Uh, you know, that Michigan Colorado State uh, wasn't too impressed with that one, but knocking off Tennessee, a team that was playing some of the best basketball in the country, really, really impressive. Uh, they are going to run into it a little bit with Villanova, a team that, generally speaking, lives and dies with the threes. And, uh, well, they've been living with them so far. Villanova currently a five-point favorite at Bavada set. They're getting about 65% of all bets. Uh, personally, I, I like the matchup a lot for Villanova. I do think Michigan is punching above their weight. A Tennessee win, again, is impressive, but I don't think it's sustainable. I just don't think this Michigan team is too good. I am so much more excited for what I believe is the game of the Sweet 16 in Arizona and Houston. That Houston team is so technically sound. They do so many things right. Uh, Arizona is a great basketball team. They had to squeak by TCU. Again, Big 12, awesome. Uh, Arizona only a two-point favorite in this one, Seth, and we're seeing pretty split action at Bavada on this one. 
one of the uh, higher over-unders of the week at 145. So we're expecting a lot of points in this one. But Houston, uh, you know, the analytics love them last year. They love them again this year. I think Ken Palm has them as their second best team in the country. Should be a fantastic one. Again, I think that's the best game of the Sweet 16. And then finally, the East. Uh, you have both the number one and number two seeds eliminated. Baylor uh, eliminated by North Carolina. And then, of course, you had the big Kentucky loss to St. Peter's. What do you make of St. Peter's? I saw somewhere, tell me if I'm wrong, 150 to 1. Purdue is currently a 12.5 point favorite at Bovada. Uh, no real surprise here, Seth, that because of their recent success, uh, we're seeing far more money on St. Peter's on both the point spread and the money line right now. Uh, this is kind of, you know, it reminds me of the Florida Gulf Coast a couple of years ago. We lost a lot of money with Florida Gulf Coast continuing to uh, progress through the tournament. Unfortunately, they were eventually knocked off. Uh, it's not a perfect parallel, especially because that team was a uh, lob city. They were all about the dunks and St. Peter's is a pretty good three-point shooting team. I do think Purdue is going to be a little too tough for them, but I would love to be wrong. I, I hope this continues. They've been very fun so far. As long as they're playing good basketball, I don't mind if on paper bad teams uh, continue to advance as long as they're playing good basketball. It doesn't matter to me what the logos are in the jersey as long as I'm seeing compelling gameplay. St. Peter's has looked good, but yeah, 12 and a half point dogs. Um, looking at the other matchup in the region, that's UCLA and that's North Carolina. Uh, interesting North Carolina team. They look like they had Baylor easily, easily over the weekend. Uh, they kind of crumbled a little bit late. Uh, they've got some good players there, but I do worry about their depth. They look like a team that was a little bit lost at times on uh, Sunday. They are currently two-point dogs, so UCLA is the ever-so-slight favorite in this one. A little bit more money coming in on North Carolina, Seth. About 60% so far at this point, but it's it's early days. I think we're going to see a lot of movement on not just the lines, but the betting handle uh, for these ones at Bovada. All right, Patrick, thanks so much. Remember, go to BovadaSportsBook.com for the latest odds on that. We now continue our tribute to the late John Clayton great NFL insider, but as you're seeing on this podcast, an even better friend. Let's continue paying tribute to John by welcoming in a Seattle radio icon, Dave Grosby. I knew him from KJR. He'd been on Cairo for a long time. Dave Grosby. Dave, we've talked to people who know him from the broadcast side and the print side. And it's kind of two sides of a coin. Uh, you met him as a young broadcaster. You, you know, you saw the beginning of his broadcasting world. How did you know he would be that good? And did you think he had that kind of ability? Well, you know, it, it, we, I went back 30 years with John and, and the thing was, uh, I should tell the story of how it started. I um, love that. KJR decided to become an, an all sports radio station and they were going to be the third in the country to do it behind uh, New York. And I think KFAN in, in Minneapolis, and they were going to do it by steps. And, and um, they, the first step was setting up Bob Blackburn, who'd been a long time play by play guy with the Sonics, but was now not doing those games, doing a three to six show, um, which uh, frankly, because Bob was a great play by play man, but really wasn't the talk show host would have been a disaster. And at the time, Kevin Calabro was doing the games on, on the Sonics on the station, KJR, and right. Kevin Calabro, the play-by-play -play man, was, was doing the games with John McLeod, who then mm -hmm. got hired by Notre Dame. Yep. And the owner of, of, of the 
team and the station very accurately at that point in time, didn't think Calabro could do a solo broadcast, which we all know was folly. He certainly right. could have, but it was in the season. So he just put Bob back in there. So they had a position open for someone uh, to, to fill in probably, you know, half of the three to six shows that, that Bob was going to miss and co-host with him, you know, with the other ones. Right. And so I was down in LA and, and I was, I, I just got, I hadn't gotten fired, but I'd gotten um, demoted uh, from the job that I had to do a mornings at KFI, but could have stayed there forever if I wanted to. But any, anyway, job comes up and my wife happened to be working in, uh, in uh, the media and she got uh, the national sales manager to give me a, give me a tryout and I got the tryout. And so one of the things that they had set up for Blackburn was he needed to talk to reporters because he didn't know anything about the Seahawks. He didn't know anything about the Mariners. So they, they got some, you know, the news editor from the, from the Seattle Times and the PI. And Claire Farns was from the PI. Mm-hmm. And it was John Clayton from, from the News Tribune. And so I, I didn't understand why they were paying these guys 25 bucks. You know, the job was to, to know that stuff. But, you know, I, I saw John was good early on and, and enjoyed talking to him. Uh, just just the guy I hit it off with immediately uh, for no particular reason. We, we, we were from... We had some Midwest things in common, but we just connected right away. And um, the thing was starting and John was eager to be a part of something that was, that was just beginning. And, you know, I, as, I, as I came to find out, he was, he was you know, the, the most informed guy on the Seahawks by 10 miles. Right. And we actually, he, he did some, something for me in the first year that I'll never forget, which was, um, this is after about being in town about seven months, Washington is, is playing in the, in the, Rose Bowl. It's their national championship, 12 and 0 team. Mm-hmm. And I decided, why don't we do a computer broadcast of Miami versus Washington? Because the game's never going to be played, even though Billy Joe Hobart asked for it. And I've got to come clean, Seth. You know, I, it was the beginning times of computers. I had no idea to do how to do it. So I just wrote a script. I was up. more impressed that you got on this Zoom. So I, it, it, <laughs> I had no idea. So I, I wrote a script up. And I said, John, will you do this with me? It, it's, it's, we're gonna, I'm gonna call it a computer game, even though it isn't. Two hour thing to do that we'll do in the show. And John immediately agreed. I mean, it was no, not a bit of hesitation. I said, you know, it's gonna be phony. And, and if anyone really gets mad about it, I'll have to admit that I'd made it up, but I can't imagine that really ever happening. <laughs> and he says, fine, fine, I'll do it. And, and um, it was about the same time he started his Saturday show. Uh-huh. And uh, I said to him, hey, if you ever want me as a guest on that show, I'll do it. And he says, I always want you as a guest. So I was a guest on the show for 30 years. And that was John Clayton. You know, I, th- I think from the radio standpoint, he was the most loyal guy you ever ran into. But he conversely expected your loyalty. And if you got it, if you gave it to him, um, that was fine. If you made a mistake... It, and and it was, <laughs> was a wide range of things that could be considered a mistake. John put you on a list and and never talked to you again. I mean, he would he would bear a grudge. And and so he, loyalty is something that I always thought of when I when I thought of John. And it's why I, I really think that more than anything, he loved doing that Saturday show, that ridiculous Saturday show. And and I say that with love because I know all the guys that were on it. Sure. Because those guys work themselves of being characters like, you know, you remember Seth, uh, you know, Commando Dave and Dre oh, and, yeah. and these, these wacky characters. And they put effort into what they did every week. And John appreciated that more than anything. So 
I think from a you know radio side is different from the newspaper side and and the and the reporting on the Seahawks side. You know, you just come to realize that gee, this guy was not not single faceted, and not not multifaceted. He was he was there's another there's another word for it. I mean, he was able to give 16 hours a day to covering the Seahawks, which was which was 16 hours a day of, of being a newspaper reporter, and 16 hours a day focusing on what he wanted to do for 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 radio. I mean, it was. Was astonishing. So he had a great work ethic, but he was he was a hell of a person and, and a unique unique character. I mean, I, I think probably uh, one of the most unique characters of one of the most vast set of peccadillos I've ever run into in my life. Well, you know, right as soon as I got to Seattle in '98, you know, he was doing the nine to noon, and they asked me to do noon to three, and John always wanted to change the subject because every call that he took was about the NFL. And he wanted to talk baseball and he knew I was a baseball guy. So he, it, you know, we would do half hour crosstalks that would bleed into my 12 o'clock. I, I probably yeah. didn't start that show till like 1230. And I remember Tom Lee, our old boss, used to get annoyed. Tom was a guest on this podcast a few months ago. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about it, I enjoyed it so much because he could give you a, he, he could give you a battle. You know, he was an expert debater. And if I was being taught because I was young in the business and I was being taught to defend your stances, you know, you can have any stance you wanted, but make sure you could defend it. And he pushed and I loved it. And I I relished the opportunities to do that. It was it was tremendous. I want to fast forward, though, because, you know, we've had uh, Mike Gastineau, your old partner and, and Dave Mahler on this podcast, uh, you know, to talk about the KJR days, he had to leave. And, and, and those guys told this great story about how, you know, because of his ESPN contract, when 710 became an ESPN station, right. he had to go over to the station. Well, through the business, you went over to that station as well. Shortly after, yeah. What was it like working with your old pal in a new building? It's almost like you're wearing your old clothes in the new gig. Well, the, the odd thing, the funnier thing about that, uh, Seth, from my standpoint is I had worked for Cairo from 92 to 95. Mm-hmm. I mean, I came and did that one year with one year with KJR, but then I worked, I worked on the Mariners games and, and it was, it was a homecoming for me when I went back. It was Dave Pridemore who hired me was, was a guy I'd worked with at the yeah. time. So yep. it, it was, it was a completely alien place to John and he did not want to go. And, you know, I, I, but I, as I, as I got there, probably, I'm going to say maybe six months later, you know, they were, they were really happy to have him. He meant a lot, you know, this, this Dave Pridemore, the, the PD understood exactly really the general manager, not the PD, exactly who John Clayton was exactly how important it was that they had him as, as the ESPN brand was important in itself. I mean, Clayton was an ESPN broadcaster and, 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 fact you know so he was he was really being treated well and I think he had made he made what could have been Seth and what I think most of us would have bet a very rocky transition it was a surprisingly smooth one by the time that I got there because they understood that they had to take great care of him and they had to not be offended by by some of the stuff that he was saying as he was as he was adjusting in and they they didn't they didn't let it bother him that they plugged him in there and so the situation was, was was very well. It was it was unique being just him and me. But but you know what? As you know, Seth, from working at KJR, I mean, for 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 twenty five years, 
it was the only sports station in town. You know, the, the Cairo had a, had a broadcast for a while, but, but, you know, actually I was probably the last one to do it. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't have a sports presence anymore. So, you know, I was hired, you know, that they brought in a few other guys that, that were, I were trained by, by, you know, by us at KJR, Bob Stelton came in there after a short period of time. Another veteran of sports with friends. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there was, there was no avoiding the KJR connection uh, when you, and you were the only dog in town for 25 years. So, you know, John, I think really flourished during, during that time when, when he was working with ESPN still and, and doing his, doing his radio stuff. I think they, they became, you know, just surprised that, you know, he, he would, and eventually, I think it was seven or eight years in, they, they took him off his show and he literally begged for a Saturday show, begged to keep it one, you know, more than anything else wanted to keep it. And, and they, he kept it. I mean, they, yeah. they were going to put young guys on that was, you know, you know, Saturday, Seth, sure. any place it's where you, where you start off. It's where you get right. guys started. It's yep. where your young guys go to, to become to become veteran broadcasters, and that's the five hours they wanted to clear up. And John said, "Absolutely not, absolutely not." And so he was doing that. Now, keep in mind, he was also doing a, a hit every afternoon, a fifteen-minute hit every afternoon on on seven ten ESPN. You know, till till the very end. So he was on the station every single day. So he wasn't. They didn't. He wasn't gone or anything like that. But he, he cons- insisted on keeping that that uh, the three-hour Saturday show. And that's, you know, I hate to say it, but I was, you know, kind of privy towards the end there. And, uh, you know, when I heard that, that uh, John, uh, you know, had, had, had some difficulties on, on Monday and, and uh, I know that the program director had called and told them, why don't you take the week off and, and, you know, take Saturday off and just, you know, re, re, recharge your batteries. You, know, you don't sound good. And he said, look, I'll, I'll take the week off, but you got to let me work Saturday. Hmm. And then he called in on Friday uh, the week before he passed and said, you know, I just don't feel up to working on Saturday. And for John, if, for those of us who knew John Clayton, him saying that was the first sign, uh, an unbelievable sign that, that, wow, something is really wrong. And a week later he was gone. Dave, I know you've battled your own health stuff, your knee, uh, Parkinson's, so many things. My yeah. continued wishes for good health for you. And we are going to sit down and do a whole episode on the life and times of Dave Crosby. And it is, this is my goal. This is my new 2022 goal. So you are coming back on the podcast, my friend. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Seth. And, you know, it's something that made me think, you know, I, I'm telling you, I've taken uh, Parkinson's and a couple of heart, uh, heart surgeries and, and ulcerative colitis. And, and, um, and, and now we're trying to deal with a knee replacement and, you know, bullet after bullet, and you know, here go, here comes John, and in one week, you know, he gets sick and goes. It's just, you never, you never know, you never know. But I'll be happy to do that podcast with you. I'll be looking forward to it. From Dave Grosby to Dave Mahler, here's Softy. He's been on this podcast before. When you worked with John, it was a long time ago in your career. Um, I would imagine you kept in touch with him, like he kept in touch with everybody. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you heard? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me on. Second of all, it wasn't that long ago that we actually worked together. It was the last time John and I actually technically worked together was, I believe, in 2010 when 710 went from a news station to a sports station. And That's 12 John, years ago. Right. Right. 12 years ago. But we started 27 years ago. Uh, yeah. I, I got to KJR in 94 and he was already there. Right. He was doing wow. a Saturday show. He was doing hits with 
Mike Gastineau and Brian Wheeler and Mikey and Vinny and the morning guys. So he was already kind of a legend by the time I got to KJR in 94. But when I heard the news, I was devastated, right? I mean, like anybody, you know, we, we had heard that John wasn't doing well uh, in the last couple of weeks or so. And there was some thought that maybe this was more serious than people were letting on. And so when I heard the news that John had passed away, <clears throat> I wasn't totally shocked, but I was also pretty heartbroken, man. You know, I've gotten to know his nephew, uh, Mike Hack. He's the food and beverage director at the golf club that we belong to. And he, he brought me aside and was in tears. And I knew instantly that something had happened to John. And then just, you know, the word spread like wildfire, text blowing up, you know, Twitter blowing up. Yeah. Um, and then the the tributes right to him that came out. I, I don't know if there's weren't ever they be, amazing? Like it was incredible. I, I don't know if there's ever going to be another Seattle sports media or media figure period that will garner that kind of reaction, right? I mean, when the freaking commissioner of the NFL is taking time to put a statement out about you, yeah. when every personality at ESPN and the Athletic and all across the country that covers the National Football League. The biggest names that people have known for the last 25, 30 years were taking time out of their day to talk about John Clayton. And I just think that that shows you the influence that this guy had, right? I mean, you'll talk to Gas about this later and he'll tell you that, you know, John was one of the first real Intel guys in sports, never mind just the NFL, right? I mean, all the great names out there in baseball from the Ken Rosenthal's and Jason Starks and Adam Schefter's and Ian Rappaport's in the NFL to Adrian Wojnarowski of the NBA, the guys that really report on Intel and information they, they owe a lot of what they are to John Clayton, man. So it was pretty obvious. The, the impact this guy had on people's lives was, was, on, was on full display over the weekend. Mike Sando, I thought eloquently said that Will McDonough was the first information guy, but John Clayton took it to another stratosphere, right? That technology was such, you know, don't forget, you know, we're talking about the nineties and, right. you know, the internet existed, but it wasn't what it is now. And John was meticulous. And, you know, I said at the beginning of the podcast, like if you asked him a question on air, he gave you a 35 second answer every time. And he, he, he was succinct all the time. His knowledge was, was second to none. And that came from his just perpetuous working he was always working um i was always amazed by that i love that he wanted to talk baseball i remember when we did our saturday shows butted together he wanted me to come in and he would stay extra because he didn't like something i said about raul abanez or some crazy thing and it was it was a blast and he was always dedicated to that and it's just it's amazing to me you mentioned the tributes how many people believe in their hearts that he was their friend, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like that he, and he was a genuine friend. Well, he was, he was absolutely all of those things that you talked about. And, you know, again, the difference between a guy like him and Will McDonough is that w Will McDonough was known nationally, but not the way John was. And well, if course. they had switched places and Will was born 30 years later, maybe he would have had the same kind of reaction that John Clayton got when, Will passed away, but you know, I, I, I think of Will McDonough. I think of more of a Boston no, I think guy. of him just as the first guy that you went to right. only because he had information, not Absolutely. because he was a player, but John, John had the, you know, uh, the support of social media. I remember when he launched his Twitter account and a buddy of mine tweeted about this the other day is exactly right. When John launched his Twitter account, you know, about eight or nine years ago, he kind of was hesitant at first to go on Twitter. 
you know, like most old guys are, right? And right. so he finally just gives in, goes on Twitter, but forgets to turn off the notification setting for new followers on his email. <laughs> and so he's getting hundreds, literally, I'm not exaggerating, Seth, hundreds of thousands of emails to his email account, new follower, new follower, new follower, new follower. And it took him, you know, days to empty his inbox. It was insane because the guy forgot to turn off his freaking email notifications. And you mentioned him talking baseball. I mean, I, I almost had sometimes felt bad for him because he would go on the air on a Saturday. And the minute he would take the airwaves at nine o'clock local time, the phone lines were packed with people asking for fantasy football advice, NFL questions, whatever. And then he would try and change the topic of the radio yep. show yep. and the listeners wouldn't let him do it. Yep. He would try to bring up the NBA or baseball or hockey or whatever, whatever. And they always forced him to go back to the NFL because that's what people wanted to hear John Clayton talk about. And I always joked that he could have been full of shit and you never even would have known because whatever right. he said was gospel, right? You ask about the third string left tackle for the Browns or the fourth string long snapper for the Giants. And he'd give you a name and give you a contract and he could have made the whole thing up and you never would have doubted him because everything he said was taken as the truth. And you know, how dialed in he was, right? I mean, it's it's insane how dialed in he was. And I saw all the tributes from guys like Bill Poley and that they would talk about contracts with him. And I remember the famous John Clayton story, at least with the Seahawks, is in it's 2006. Does it involve one of your bachelor parties? Uh, no, it does not involve one of my bachelor <laughs> parties, although he was there at the first one. And that was a classic, classic John Clayton experience, by the way. I don't know if we should bring that up or not. Uh, maybe one day, maybe at his eulogy, we can talk about that. But... 2006, uh, Steve Hutchinson was a free agent, the all-pro guard for the Seahawks, and the Seahawks had just gone to the Super Bowl the year before and lost to Pittsburgh, and the Seahawks had two choices with Hutch. They could either franchise him, which would mean he was done with free agency, he had to go back to Seattle, or they could transition him, which would open the door for him to start looking at other contracts with the Seahawks having the right to match. And John Clayton's at the Combine, and he sees Mike Holmgren, and says, hey, I think you guys just transitioned Steve Hutchinson. And Mike's like, no, we didn't. We would not do that. There's no way we would make that kind of move with Hutch. And John's like, no, you did. So imagine that today, a reporter telling a head coach right. of Mike Holmgren's stature that a team just made a move contract-wise with one of their best players, and the coach is hearing this from the reporter. That's how right. dialed in John was 16 years ago, man. And I'm not sure, honestly, uh, if there's ever going to be another one like him because there's never a first, right? I mean, hey, I'll, uh, tip your hat to Pelissero and Rappaport and Florio and Schefter sure. and guys like that. But when it came to the NFL, when it came to things like that, John was a pioneer, no doubt. What did John, just take us like kind of inside for a second. What was John's reaction to your success? You know, when yeah. you met him, you were you were a board op at first. I mean, oh, yeah. you, I was an intern when an, I met him. You were intern. an intern when you March met John Clayton. Yep. He, he, you, you were doing afternoon drive now. You've been with that company for 30 years. What did John ever talk to you about that? How about when you went from nights to middays? Did John ever yeah. talk to you about did At any key moment in your career, did John yeah. ever... Was he happy for you? Was he, was he, I know he talked shop off the air. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was, he was happy for you and happy for me until he wasn't. And that is kind of a sidebar story that he was fiercely loyal to people until you were not loyal to him. Right. <laughs> like if you crossed his path one time, you said <laughs> the wrong thing, you did the wrong thing, you made the wrong move. 
Uh, you didn't credit him when you were supposed to credit him, whatever, something like that. You got one chance with John, Seth, right? One chance right. to be on John Clayton's good side. And I fortunately was able to see that from afar. So I was able to maneuver my career and my friendship with him that way. Um, but I know people that, you know, crossed his, 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 his path from the wrong direction and he was done. He was done with you like that. Like you were either with him yep. or you were against him. Yep. So he's a fiercely loyal guy. But, you know, we talk about contracts and we talk about, you know, the move to ESPN and he would ask me how things are going and he would tell me about what he's, you know, not what he's getting paid, but, you know, right, some right. of the terms of his deal. And I, I, I remember when he went to ESPN, he didn't want to go to ESPN. He did not want to leave KJR to right. go over to you know, For the listeners, what he's talking about is John was already at ESPN, radio, the television correct. network. I'm talking radio, right. In, ra right. in Seattle radio, ESPN operated another radio station, 710 Cairo. So, right. So he so had to go was, to this ESPN affiliate. Right. What happened was we had the rights to ESPN radio on KJR with Clear Channel Radio. And then in 2010, 710 AM, which was a news station, decided to launch and become a sports station. And so they took the ESPN rights from KJR and branded themselves as 710 ESPN Radio. So at that point, John had a choice and he wanted to stay with us. And, you know, why wouldn't he? He had been there for, you know, 16, 17 years at that point. He had built up a following on Saturday mornings with his show. He was doing three to four hits a week, if not four to five hits a week with us on the air. You know, his friends, his radio family were there. Uh, no disrespect to the guys and gals at 710 now, no, but no, no. when you're at a place for 15 years, you don't want to go. So what had happened in a nutshell is that ESPN, who he was under contract with to do TV work and print work on the website, came to him and said, hey, if you don't make the move to 710 radio, we're going to fire you. You know, you can't work for us. You can't you can't work for KJR and work for ESPN TV and then blow off the ESPN affiliate in Seattle. So we were all kind of secretly hoping he would just get a job with the NFL Network, and just go work right. for them instead. But he hung on as long as he could with us and then eventually had no choice but to make the move and go over to 710. He was happy there when it was all said and done. He yeah. did great well, things with them, just there. like yeah. he did great things with us. And wherever right. he went, whoever he worked for, he was going to be awesome. But I remember having those conversations with him and how conflicted he was about, you know, he had no choice in the end. And I would tell him, look, I get it. You know, it sucks for us, but you got no choice. You're not going to give up your high paying gig with ESPN TV and ESPN.com. So he had no choice to leave. And we would have contract talks like that. We'd have, you know, talks about how things are going with me and, you know, him and his wife would always send us a Christmas letter every year. One of those letters that people just kind of update Pat. you yeah. on what's been going on. And it was funny because it was always right to the point, right? Like there was no jumping around the issue. It was John went to the Super Bowl. Uh, Pat went on vacation with some friends. John enjoys his show. Pat and John are busy uh, watching, uh, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, whatever. They would just get right to the point and update you on everything they were doing throughout the year. So he, he, he was a friend. He was very supportive of me. He was very loyal to everybody who was loyal to him. He was always there uh, to help out, even when he left. I mean, I, I can say this now that even when he left uh, to go work for a competing radio station, I would still text him and I still have texts on my phone, which I'm never getting rid of, by the way, where I'm asking him about contract questions and free yeah. agency and all kinds of stuff. And he would, he would answer. Okay, he's he's technically a competitor now, but he would answer. He'd get back to him. He'd call me. We'd talk. We'd text, and he would fill me in on whatever we had to be filled on. Uh, you know, in on. I I would bitch and moan to him about Mike Holmgren not making the Hall of Fame. 
because he's on the committee and he would keep me up to date on the conversations they were having with guys like that. So even throughout the whole thing, when he left and went to work for 710, outside of being able to talk on the air every day, our relationship really did not change at all. Thank you so much for doing this, buddy. Um, it's awful. And I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for all of our losses, but uh, I'm glad we got to pay tribute to him. And I appreciate you being a part of it. No problem. Anytime. Still to come on the podcast, Sean Salisbury, the former quarterback. But first, another radio legend. This is the great Mike Gastineau. Not Mark Gastineau for all you New York listeners. He's another veteran of Sports with Friends. He's been on the podcast before. Mike Gastineau. Mike, so many people who are listening to this podcast, they knew he was from Seattle, but I don't think they knew how much a part of the Seattle media he was because he was known as this national NFL guy and he would go on stations all over the country. So if you're listening in Atlanta, he was on your station and he covered your team just like he covered everyone, but he was part of the KJR family. And th that's not a term I throw out loosely. Not everybody was, and mm -hmm. he definitely was. What was it like to work with a side of John Clayton that many people listening to this aren't going to know? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it's a great point you bring up. He was one of the guys that, um, as my career grew, I'd have a hard time convincing my old buddies in Indiana where I grew up that I actually knew John. They'd go, oh, well, no. well, you mean like he comes on your show? No, no, I know John. I've, I've had a beer with you. They couldn't believe it. He was such a, a big guy. I, I doubt that KJR was the first station he ever did anything for. I'm sure no. John in, in, you had done other things. But we were the ones, you know, the sports talk format was still brand new when we decided to try it in 1991. And they decided before I got there, I got there in June, they'd kind of made a commitment to go towards it earlier in the year. They had hired a guy from L.A. named Dave Grosby and Gros came up uh, and then they hired me. Uh, they had hired Nancy Donnell on the sports babe. And little by little, they became an all sports talk station. I don't know who first had John on. I think it probably was Gros. But as soon as you heard him, you knew he was exactly what the format needed. He was a character. He was knowledgeable. He was funny. He could poke fun at himself a little bit. He was everything you want in a, in a radio guest. Uh, and he became a guy that we all battled to try and get on. Before long, he had his own show on Saturday mornings. Uh, he was a big part of, of KJR's rise in the 90s as the, the, the first and premier sports talk station in this region. And then what was it like when he hit it big? Because in the beginning, you know, he was the Tacoma News Tribune guy. He was a Seahawks beat guy. And then he morphed into this <laughs> ESPN person. But then it became even bigger. If you remember, SportsCenter was as big as SportsCenter would ever be right. uh, at, at that moment. He becomes this rock star. Mike Sando said earlier in the podcast that you couldn't walk five feet without somebody, you know, in an NFL stadium trying to get his autograph. It, 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 he became football royalty and yet he was still the same guy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, in, in some ways he, he grew and maybe he changed a little bit. He realized how big he had gotten, but yeah, I think in, in terms of his down to earth nature, in terms of how approachable he was, and let's forget approachable. A lot of guys in this business are approachable. John wanted to be approached. Yeah. John would John would have walked in front of people until somebody said something. I mean, he and and I, that that may sound negative. I don't mean it to. He loved interacting with fans. It really was part of his lifeblood. You know, 
I don't know if people remember that when John first started working for ESPN, all he was was an information guy. They didn't have him on camera. And I don't even know how much they referred to him. I remember he called me and I'm sure he called other people. I don't want to overplay my hand as how I was involved in this. He calls me and says, Hey, they're offering me a pretty good amount of money just to call them occasionally and give them information. What do you think? And I said, I think that sounds like a great gig. Uh, and, and I do, I do remember saying, and I think anybody would have said this to John and I think he knew this, who knows what this might grow into John. Well, none of us knew what it was going to become. And and I'll tell you something about John's loyalty to things too. I always thought this was kind of a sweet story. Uh, as, as things move and change in this business, KJR was the ESPN radio affiliate in Seattle for years and years. And sometime, I don't know around if it was early 2000s or something when, when Cairo decided to switch to all sports and they ended up getting, you know, after a while got the ESPN uh, tag from us. And so we lost all of our ESPN programming, except one thing, John, John Clayton told ESPN, I'm not moving over there. And they said, well, no, John, you have to, they're the new ESPN affiliate. And for about, I'm going to say for about four weeks, John dug in and eventually reason prevailed. So John, you, you, you can't, I mean, this is great that you want to be loyal to us. I loved it. I'm like, God, if we can pull this off, this is the most amazing <laughs> story ever. But it, 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 he, he really, and he was, you know, like a lot of us, he's like, I don't want the change. And he got over there and found out, hey, there were some things over there that were better and some things that weren't as good, typical of any change you make. But he wanted to stay with us because we had been loyal to him. Uh, and he's, um, it's just a unique guy that way. I mean, he, and, and, but as big as he got, no, we, none of us saw it coming. I don't even know if he saw it coming. Uh, but he he got there at the perfect time and rode that wave for a long time in terms of providing ESPN with information and ultimately a couple of years into it, providing them with a character that they loved, you know, a guy that they could have on and they knew he'd know stuff and his uh, his stuff on there was legendary. And you you two mimic each other in that you're both not born in the Pacific Northwest, but once you got there, you never left. And he that was his home. He never considered leaving. He could have worked from literally anywhere. You know, the, the amount of information he had on every team in the NFL. Again, there are people listening to this podcast that didn't know he was a Seattle based guy the, right. th- that that will exist. And that doesn't mean that that person who's listening, you know, didn't follow it. However, your platform of following the NFL, you got your information but John chose Seattle, and I would imagine the community is part of the reason he chose that. It's, it's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of, especially once he got to be anchored at ESPN. He, you're right. He could have moved anywhere. Could have gone back yeah, to well, when you were on the wanted. podcast, you talked about, you know, you were from Indiana and you came there and you've never left. And he really but, has mimicked that. But here's the thing. I didn't leave because, you know, I learned to really appreciate hiking. I learned to appreciate, you know, some of the things you can do. I don't think John did anything. You know, I don't know that John ever took a hike. I don't know that John ever caught a salmon, you know, but he did love the area. And and I think John, you know, again, I think maybe knowing his personality a little bit, he didn't like change. I mean, why not stay here? I like it here. I, I know, you know, but I mean, from an airplane standpoint, as often as he had to travel, Chicago would have been a great place for him, but I think there is, it's a special part of the country. And if you do like it here, it's hard to envision leaving once you get established. There's no secret um, in that even though he was this tireless worker, he, he did have friends and he did have fun and he was funny and he did love 
you know, one of the things Softy said uh, earlier in the, in the in the podcast was that when he was doing his Saturday show, he would try to change the subject. And all the calls were just about the NFL. Yeah. And what I remember, you know, my favorite times on air with him, you know, when I was doing a Saturday show, it followed his is he didn't like, you know, something I said about Al Martin or Raul Abanez or something. And he wanted to talk that. And I mm -hmm. couldn't believe I was having baseball debates with the <laughs> NFL insider. Like it was it was such a strange feeling uh, but I loved just the idea that he had so many other interests. He's only going to be known for one thing, but there was so much more to him. Well, yeah. And, and I think anybody who's in sports, you, you feel like you've got, uh, you know, a little bit of interest in everything. John knew where his bread was buttered, obviously, but yeah, he wanted to be a, a well-rounded host. Uh, and, and that, you know, I'm sure he kind of battled that forever. He didn't need to, you know, he could have just talked to NFL, especially as the NFL became this ubiquitous thing. I mean, covering the NFL, I don't know if covering it changed, but certainly the way it was consumed uh, by, by readers and listeners and viewers, that changed over the years. It became an obsession for people. You know what I think is kind of funny is that John, like a lot of sports talk guys, did not want to do segments or didn't want to get pigeonholed into fantasy football. You know, I remember early in my career, somebody said, you know, the problem with fantasy football is the only person interested in it is the person calling you. They're interested in their team. Nobody else cares. And John was really adamant about, I, I don't do fantasy football, but little by little by little, the listeners figured out, you know, I can ask my fantasy football questions as long as I couch them in a football way. And, you know, John owes a lot of his career to the explosion of fantasy football that a lot of people were playing in the early nineties, but I mean, everyone plays it now, you know, right. it, it became, once, once the, uh, the iPhone came out. Right. And then the internet and all that. And, and John owes a lot of what he had to that which is uh, which is funny and he came to embrace it and understand the idea that hey this is a big thing with the fans so i'm not going to play it i'm based in reality but uh, but i'm going to talk about it occasionally or listen to people and uh it, it uh, his his knowledge it was it's just amazing it, you know, he just you know i used to tease him i said you know you know more about the nfl than anyone else in the world knows about anything and then i tease him saying that comes at the expense of a life you know, this guy just, he just would, would obsess over this. He'd go on vacation. His idea of a vacation, he'd tell you, was he went to the same Marriott in San Diego every year with his wife. They'd set up by the pool at night in the morning with a phone and a, and a, and a, a laptop and any other, <laughs> and he'd keep an eye on the NFL. That was his vacation. Well, I'm by a pool. I'm like, well, that's not really a vacation, John, but <laughs> that's, that was his idea of unwinding was covering the NFL poolside in San Diego. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Mike, thanks for being a part of this. I couldn't imagine doing a tribute to John without having you uh, uh, on this. Thank you. Well, let, let me give just a real quick image of John that I have in my mind's eye and I've had it since uh, we heard the news and I'd love everybody to have it. I was out at uh, the airport years ago. I'm going somewhere and I look at the next gate and there's John Clayton surrounded by about 10 guys fielding NFL questions before his flight. And he just was beaming. He was in his happiest place, talking NFL with fans. A lot of people at the airport would be like, I'm going to try and lay low, or I'm going to go over here and get a coffee. And John was like, no, I'm doing my show right here. Uh, I, that's how I remember him, just a, a guy who loved what he did and loved interacting with football fans. So far on this podcast, we've had two Mikes and two Daves. 
We've got one more Dave and then Sean Salisbury. And now we welcome in a noted journalist, uh, someone I knew from the Tacoma News Tribune. He's gone on to write books and he recently wrote a piece in the Washington Post about John. Uh, and that is a longtime friend, uh, Dave Bowling. Dave, uh, thanks so much for doing this under awful circumstances, but still great to reconnect with you. You know, it, it is, of course. Thanks for thanks for asking me to talk about this. It's it is funny how um, the the old friends of John have gotten together. The messages have been flying back and forth, and you can imagine, you know, there's a there's a great deal of sadness with it, but newsmen, uh, certainly newspaper people particularly, deal with grief and sadness by being smart asses. You know, we, we kind of kid and we joke and, and that's how we deal with it. And uh, one of our mutual friends, Claire Farnsworth, you'll remember from the sure. PI, Great guy. who a wonderful guy and Claire, maybe more than anybody else because he was at the PI John was at the News Tribune, and, and so they clashed every morning. Right. And Claire had to basically be the brunt of Clayton's nonstop around the clock reporting and story scooping. And somehow that never it never got to be a conflict. They dealt with each other great. They were friends. And, and John, Claire will say this, beat the crap out of him every day because John beat everyone, not in, just in the market, in the country on stories. And, and Claire sent me a message that I, I checked with him to make sure he wouldn't mind me telling people. And I used it yeah. in the Washington Post story. He, he wrote, and th this isn't quite exactly, but he says, you know, John is totally pissed. He didn't get to break the story on his passing. <laughs> and that captures both the respect that all of us had for John <laughs> as a reporter and also how he was driven to break stories. He, he lived for it. It was, yeah. it was mother's milk. It was his adrenaline. It was everything that he lived for aside from his family. Bacon stories, man, that juiced him like nobody's business. What was uh, your impressions of John once he left the Tribune? Meaning he spent such a long time at ESPN. Many people who are listening to this know him as ESPN. I know him from KJR. I don't even know him from either outlet. Right. But when he became a rock star, when SportsCenter was the thing. I mean, we're talking about the 90s. And, right. you know, ESPN was the juggernaut. It's still big, but it, it, it's not what it once was. I always thought John was as driven as ever. He never rested on his laurels, but you knew him differently. How, so what was your he, perspective on that? He continued to update his database every day. Now, and, and if you know John, or spent much time around him, the database was his child. Uh, it, was, it was something that he started way, way back in the 80s. And it was, um, he had a spreadsheet that he developed with all the contracts, every contract in the National Football League. He built his career on infinitesimal data points 
one after another, and he updated it every day. I don't know how many hours it took him, and it required him to make calls around the country to agents, and, and he built his network on that, his contacts, and he developed that. So then people would start calling him, now, what's the number on so-and-so? What's their cap number? What's the options? And so that ingratiated him to administrators around the league. And when he went to, so of course he became, he started breaking news everywhere and on a national basis. And what the News Tribune did that was great, they recognized that he was a national force. They could have said, um, look, all we need is Seahawks stuff. John would have, would have rebelled against that. They said, fine, do that stuff. But do your Seahawks stuff for us. Do whatever else you want. And so when he got to be ESPN, as a rock star, as you say, he was, he was so enormous. He still did that database every night. And I'd say, John, you don't have to do that stuff. Oh, I do. I do. Everything I do is based on that. I have to keep that up. And so I think that's an indicator. And, and it took hours a day. And I... I I tell a story that what is what it was like to travel with John and to be a, a teammate. You know, I was a columnist and my job was to write subjective stories and analysis, whereas his was, you know, uh, the, the game stories, um, the contracts, the news, mm -hmm. um, the objective uh, part of the story. But we did, you know, we worked together in concert and it would be, we'd take a trip and we would travel together and we'd coordinate our, our uh, travel plans. And let's say we were in uh, whatever town and it would get to be time where, okay, I filed my story. And I'll say, John, okay, John, I'm filed. You wanna go get some dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have a few more calls to make. <laughs> and one would lead to another, to another, to another. And Dave, two hours later would say, um, John, I'm gonna go get something from the vending machine. Do you want something? He just, he, he, his was, I'm just going to make another call. You knew that was go ahead, go eat, go do your stuff. Cause John's going to be at it for another couple hours. And that's why, that's how he became who he was. And I think of all the comments that people are saying, uh, the one that is, is, is most telling about John, everyone agrees on no one has ever worked harder at this than John did. John invented himself. He made John Clayton into John Clayton, and and everybody else is is a pretender, <laughs> is is a follower. <laughs> what about his embracing uh, broadcast? Uh, one thing I did talk to him about was his broadcast style uh, was rough in the beginning. He had all the information, but he got better at like he was always easy to get 22 second responses on a question. If you asked him something, he polished those answers because a lot of times in broadcast, the anchor will give the, the, the fact he needs to have the why. And one of the things I learned in Seattle, you know, when my days at KJR, they told me breaking the story, wasn't the big thing. It's it's when the story breaks, people are going to come to you for the analysis make sure you know the why. And I thought John did that brilliantly on radio and television, which became such a big part of his career. 
he he worked at it uh, like he worked on everything else. When when we were together, uh, you know, we started. I, I started covering the Seahawks as a beat when I was in Spokane at the Spokane paper in the late oh, wow. 80s, so a long time ago. Yeah, and then I think John was. How in did you do that? You lived in. You lived in Seattle, the Seattle greater I area. In, I lived in Spokane. I had the Gonzaga beat for years. And oh my goodness. I talked them into doing, somebody needed to cover the Seahawks. All we were getting was AP in those days. And I told them that what a huge constituency they had in, in Spokane. And they did. And I convinced them that I needed to do that. And so I would come over, you know, for training camp and games, et cetera, and, and got to know John and, when a columnist job opened at the News Tribune, John pushed to get me oh, cool. that job. So it was, you know, I, I really appreciated that. We would go on trips and he would, he was working on that. I mean, he would, he would work with a tape recorder. Uh, he was, he was, and he, this was just when he was breaking into it, mm-hmm. really, really at the very start. And, and he did, you're right. He did improve a, a great deal. And you know, I'm not exactly sure who he went to, but I know that once he started getting, you know, uh, well-known and a lot more, he used to call them hits. I got a hit on ESPN now. I got to get ready. A hit. Yeah, he would do hits. Always a hit. And um, once he started getting those, then he starts breaking stories and that meant more hits. He <laughs> was energized. And and his, his editor... Um, at ESPN TV told me one time, if, if he could give John 10 hits a day, John would do it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, the other people who kind of uh, aspired to that sort of thing started coming up to John. And I remember just the other day, we were in Denver and, you know, in the old days, we used to, it used to be more of a brotherhood of, of writers and broadcasters. And you would go in on a Saturday and Saturday night, everybody would get together and go to a restaurant somewhere. And, and, you know, you'd have a nice night and you'd chat. And it was a bit of, it was a bit of, you know, brotherhood and camaraderie and, um, and you shared news stories and all that. Well, I was remembering this night, there was a, a, a little guy or young man in, uh, in Denver and boy, he sat next to John and he grilled him. Hmm. What, uh, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Where'd you learn this? Who do I need to contact? I'd love to do this. And it was Adam Schefter. Yeah. And he, you know, and and here's the thing, John dealt with him, patient, helped him, answered every question, uh, set him on his way, encouraged him, because that's really one of the great things about John Clayton. He did that. He did it with me when I started on the beat 40 years ago, almost. And, uh, and he was at Tacoma and he was, you know, he owned the, he owned the beat, but he would come to me on the sidelines and just want to talk about things. And I had played football in college Hmm. and, and he was curious about some of the things that I knew about line play, for instance, because he knew, he knew the contracts, he knew, the setup, the organizations, the personnel. He was not as strong on what it took to play the game. And, and he would always report. Uh, and I remember we would have conflicts. We'd have a little bit of argument. 
he would say, Bill Polian told me this guy is great. And I said, John, I'm standing here watching this guy. He's not. He doesn't. I mean, we had this thing about Rick Meyer. And and all these people love Rick Meyer and he's going to be wonderful. And I said, I I I see some problems. And we would go back and forth a little bit about that. And 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 he was repeating what people have told him, which is a great way to report, you know, the people who are really in the business, what it was actually going on there and the guy's balance or you know what what have you, the the specific requirements of playing the position. He wasn't. He wasn't as, as comfortable with that, uh, but but he always helped anybody who asked. And he, he, I don't think he ever turned anybody down. Dave, we could do this for an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, or uh, or more. Well, I want to just give you you know a, a, a parting shot. I, tell me, tell me, he's your friend. You know, he 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 was all our friends, but he's yeah. your dear friend. Um, what kind of a loss did we suffer? You, you know what? I have so many things to think about that. Uh, as I say, he was, he was unique. He, no one was like John. And um, I feel bad that, you know, he got big. He kind of grew out of the, the market. When I saw him, we would stop and chat and have a great time and remember old times. I was doing my thing. He was doing his thing. And, you know, we're not we weren't together as much and I kind of let that fade and I feel awful about that today. I, I, I really do. I, you know how you get busy, you get family yeah, and, and all that. Um, I, I, I kind of feel bad about that, but when at certain times we kind of reconnected and, and one of those was, you know, when his ESPN deal kind of went south, whatever happened there, um, I, th- I think that hurt John and, and I called him a couple of times and we oh, it, it did. Yeah, it, it did. And I, and I, he was, you know, I don't know how many years ago that was, but he was in his mid six early sixties to mid sixties. And I was retiring and I had worked, I started writing fiction and books and yeah. I, I told him, I said, John, you, you could you could have a book out. People, you have such following. You could write a book. Write your own book. Tell people how you did this. Tell them of your experiences. I got, I've got an agent. I've got friends in the publishing industry. I could help you get into that, um, and it would be great. And you would really love it. You and he and, and it, I think he missed attention. He likes attention. He likes dealing with people. Yeah. Uh, and I said, you can keep that, but more on your own terms, and you wouldn't have to be working 14 hours a day. And it didn't resonate with him at all, because he was about breaking the story. He said, I, he said it, 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 didn't, it didn't cause him to, to uh, you know, even he didn't even think about that, because that was not who he was. He was about getting news, digging those news nuggets and breaking news and and dealing with his network. And that's what made him happy. And and so John Clayton was the most self-actualized person I've ever met. He was exactly who he wanted to be. 
And that's, I think that's a great thing in a lot of ways. And he was stubborn about it, of course. And a lot of us said, try, try this, try that. He's back. It wasn't who he was. And, and I'm sure till the day he passed, he was thinking about his database or whatever. I mean, he was, he was being John Clayton. He was John Clayton. And he stayed John Clayton till I'm sure the last few minutes. And there's maybe, maybe that's a, a, the best analysis of, of John and, and, and a tribute to, to what he was and who he became. Take care, Seth. Thanks for having me. And now, as promised, former NFL quarterback, longtime television and radio broadcaster, Sean Salisbury joins us here. And Sean, thank you so much for doing this. I know how busy you are. I had no inkling that he was even ill. You know, some of the Seattle guys said that they knew something was off. But what was it? What was your reaction? How did you find out? And what what was your initial thought? Um, I was stunned. I didn't believe it at first. I on Friday night, I, I had to leave town Saturday morning, but I was, I'd been a busy week and I was laying, was, you know, waking up early and training quarterbacks. It'd been a crazy week. And I, I sat on my couch and then was watching TV and I fell asleep for like 45 minutes or an hour on a Friday night. Wow. Cause I had to get up, I had to get up at three 30 the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. But I woke, I woke up to get a glass of water and I, and I looked at my phone and there was like 60 text messages. Yeah. And I'm like, Friday night, 60 text messages. What the heck is going on here? So when I opened it, the array of text messages were from the big boss at ESPN football guy, a buddy of ours, Seth Markman, all the way down. Sure. I mean, it, it was friends and family, my kids. And I'm like, and then I looked at the body of the text and it was that John had passed away. Now, I was, only, I was informed earlier in the day that he was... Uh, that he was in the hospital that I did know. Okay. And I had talked to John a couple of weeks ago and he sounded like John. And when I say he was off, I, I, I figured it sounded when I talked to him that he was just busy with all the interviews that he does. Right. John's the hardest working guy. John would do anything for anybody. Sure. Always available to do an interview, always available to be your friend and do it. 100% and kick ass. He was the can, best. Can I, I interject though for one, one second? I wanted to get your thought on, on just because you're mentioning this right now, the evidence from some of the others was when he was talking about the Russell Wilson trade, because he would have vetted that he would have known that Denver was interested. He would have known that Seattle was shopping him. He would have known all those things. And when he went on the air and he said he didn't think there was going to be a deal, he didn't think there was any legs to it, that something was off because he would have known. It was Did that cross your mind? Yeah, I, and I think that the, how thorough John's been his whole career. I mean, you're talking right. about one of the pioneers. So when I heard about that, I was shocked when I found out I was in it, my eyes watered in tears because – I think people, you know, they see John and I on there and, and on, on four downs, it was the original sports debate show before yeah. Will Bond and, and Kornheiser, before Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. It was the original that Mark Shapiro and one of our senior coordinated producers, Mark Preisler, wanted to try. Mark and so Preisler, I was, de yeah, great guy, yeah I, I was devastated when I, and when I, when I sat down and I'm still devastated, I'm, I'm actually cried out emotional over this. It's, it, it's hit me hard. And, we all get hit hard by people that we know and care about, but this one is deeper because John and I's friendship goes back to 1986 mm. and the long time we were doing four downs and working together on television and doing hall of fame shows on the radio. 
he's as good a man as ever was. He's, he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster and insider and reporter. And John loved talking football more than any human being I've ever been around. And I'm not kidding. And you mentioned thorough about Russ Wilson. John didn't miss anything. Nothing. And he, you know, has spent a lot of time and taking care of his good wife, Pat, who's been, had to, had some difficulties health-wise. Yep, and, sure. and John doesn't miss anything. And when he misses a Super Bowl because of the health of his wife, that's saying something. And John, there's only one thing I, there's only, yeah, there's only one thing I know more important than getting to cover in football. And that's his family and his wife, his good wife, Pat. And so it was a, it was very hard, man. And, and I talked to a couple, then Mort called me Saturday, Chris Mortensen, and we shared a few stories and some, some laughs, but also about, you know, how much we love John, but also some emotional moments about what he meant. And, and John touched everybody, man. And when we came to it, he was people that are like new and see like the internet stuff now, like on, on social media, don't realize what he was doing all the years he was doing it while he was doing it and how good he was at it. So I am devastated by it. And, um, I'm going to miss him terribly because he was a dear, dear friend who would drive 1500 miles for you to make sure that you had whatever you needed. And I consider him one of my closest friends and I thought he was a great TV and radio partner. And I couldn't have been more proud to and honored to be his partner for a long time. But I was, I was devastated because I wasn't prepared for it. And I'd be devastated even if I was, but I'm still in shock. The, how did you guys get partnered together? Do you uh, mind telling that part? Not at all. I, I mean, I, that fascinated me because I followed your career. I thought, you know, I knew him a long t- lot longer than I knew you, but how did you guys get partnered together? We, you know, he was doing all his reporting. I was doing NFL live and sports center and all that. And Mark Shapiro, who's our big boss and a, a brilliantly talented creator of good content and could see like for like a good running back, you can see the whole three, three players before that hole opens. And so he and Mark Preisler said, I'm standing in the newsroom. And they said, we want to try something different. We want to, we want to get, we want to pit the, like the, the, the reporter nerd, non-athlete and they nerd, they met nerd affectionately, the book guy yeah, yeah, yeah. against the jock, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, joke around. Am I the bully or the jock? Because some don't think I'm a jock. I'm not the bully, but the, some don't think I'm a jock. And they probably don't think I'm the brains either. And John made things go, man. They asked me, they asked John, and we'd known each other. And they knew that we had not only a friendship, but great chemistry. And neither one of us were sensitive about criticism. Both of us, you didn't have to create content for us to know what we were talking about. We were both prepared. And it was organic. It was never scripted. People think, well, do you, the most asked question I get, in 30 years of TV and radio and even playing is questions about me and John more questions than any, I'm talking about than anything Hmm. airports. It became like a folk. It it was, it was like a, it it was like, like we had this following and, and, you know, John was so good at it and we were so different yet. We're so alike in the fact that we were passionate. We weren't sensitive and we, with everything you saw was, not just for throwing it against the wall entertainment. We didn't script. You say this and I'll say this. We literally, they, we didn't know the questions they were going to ask us on air. They'd ask us off and then they'd pick one of, you know, four on four downs, four out of the 10 questions they asked. We never knew. And some of them we agreed on and it might've been an opinion we agreed on or disagreed on, but, 
And then we'd go after it, clock in, try to beat each other's brains in, and then go out. And we were still best of friends. I had sure. so much respect for him. He'd get some great one-line zingers, and we did too. It was intense. It was fun. But our, the fact that our, you can't fight chemistry, and you sure as hell can't fake it. And what you saw is real. And John and I, till the day he died, loved and missed four downs as much as anything. And John was a big reason why, biggest reason why it worked. He was prepared and I knew that I could go at him and he knew he could go at me for all the reasons I just said and still put our arm around each other and carry a best friendship. When I left ESPN 2008, he was the first human being outside my family that called me. Hmm. First person. And it wasn't just because of four downs. It was because John cared about our friendship and he was going to miss that, but he was one, he was checking on me. He wasn't doing it selfish for four downs because we'd created something that was special by just by chance, because somebody was far smarter than me decided to put it together. And John and I rode with it and we didn't want it scripted. We didn't want to know. We just wanted to, to tee up and get after it, but the respect and, and the really the love and admiration we have for each other far exceeds most I've ever been around. And I got a lot of good friends in this business and loyal friends, none, none more loyal and more trusted than him. And I'm going to miss him. And it worked and it, and it, and it worked to perfection for him and I, and <clears throat> the network. And so I was, he cared and he's always cared and I care about him. And this one hits me harder than no, most. Sorry. And I lost my mom over the summertime and losing John Clay, John, John's family. When your kids who were growing up, time this is going on we're still young yeah yeah when both my sons say dad man people are dying that are the friends of yours that we've known and john clayton he goes i can remember watching and they didn't know john personally very well right they lived it through me and and how i talked about him and he became it was it was a staple and john and i were very proud of it but more more proud of our friendship than anything else you know when i did when i worked with him at kjr you know Mm -hmm. my show followed his and so we would do crosstalk. And what I found was you had to bring your A game to huh. debate anything with him. And what I found out later, he's, he liked it because, you know, his show is so football centric and I would talk baseball with him. And, and, you know, my greatest debates with John Clayton have to do with, you know, the Mariners pitching rotation. But the, the question, I guess, that I had is I always felt this enormous pressure uh, to know my stuff because you better come and you better have your facts straight. If you're going to debate John Clayton, you did this every single day. Was there like a team (laughs) of people to help you? Because the amount of knowledge you had to amass to just to be able to hold your own with that guy is incredible. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what drove a lot of this too. I think when they put us two together, because they had known my passion on TV, not only just, I mean, most of our, all arts were about football. Every now and then they may throw in a fun bonus question, but is as a former quarterback, my life was spent on over preparing, preparing your ass off for whatever you might see. And so I've spent my whole life as what I may lack in, in ability or physical, you were not, I was not going to be out prepared. And I knew when John Clayton came around that that would hold true. And because I'd obviously known him for so long and knew what he put into it. And especially a guy, and, and I don't mean this disrespect, but when you don't play to garner the respect from people, oh, you'll get that, oh, you don't play, John. Or, you know, when somebody doesn't play, it's not fair because you don't have to play to be really good at what you do and great. And I knew that about John, that he knew just as much as somebody who did play or coached it because, well, he had great insight and he, he wasn't going to be out prepared. And I think that's what drove it. 
and we all have research teams, but I spent count, I, I wasn't, our opinions were strong, our passion was real, and no way was I gonna get on with him as a legend and who'd been in it a lot longer than I have and then say, uh, uh, I came here unprepared. You, you, that'd have been making a monumental mistake. And I think Mark Shapiro knew about John's preparation that he was gonna battle tooth and nail and that I wasn't gonna get beaten at and that we were go and John got me plenty of times. But when you work with somebody that good and that prepared, as you mentioned, it better drive you and you better take your preparation to another level. So that's one thing. People can disagree with the opinions. Not one thing John Clayton and I were never gonna do. And he, he elevated my play because I knew, just like you said, that if I didn't, you could embarrass yourself on national television, that he was responsible for driving the excellence on the show and our passion was real. And, and uh, like I said, it was one of those, I looked forward to it all the time because I knew, I love the challenge and John Clayton and our show was a great challenge. And I, and I, I may be bragging, but I, I liked the original as much as any and John was a driving force for it. And, and the reason it was successful. Well, Sean, I know how busy you are, and uh, I, I really do appreciate your time. I'd love to have you back on Sports with Friends. We could do a Sean Salisbury episode, not a John that'll Clayton be a, That'll tribute. be a lot more boring than John Clayton's, trust me. John, John's <laughs> a lot more legendary than I am, but I would be honored to do it with you, and I'm forever grateful you had me on. Anytime you get a chance to talk about somebody that you not only cared for and loved in the businesses, I think the best TV partner on the planet in John Clayton and radio guy but a person that I hold in the highest regard and with the highest esteem. So um, I would have done this for you anytime, my man. Thank you for, I'm honored that you chose me to speak on him. Sean Salisbury right here on Sports with Friends. I hope that you heard this in parts. I don't expect you to listen to this long a podcast all the time. Um, I, you know, I just wanted to get the sentiment of what it felt like to lose a friend to lose an NFL insider icon and uh, an amazing broadcaster and to have this many people want to be on the podcast, I wasn't turning anybody down. And I would have done it even for longer. I just stopped mentioning that I was doing this podcast. Um, we'll be back with a, a normally sized episode, uh, but this wasn't what we had planned for Sports with Friends. We had planned something um, very, very different. And uh, we'll push that back for a couple of weeks and get back on schedule. But when John Clayton passes, uh, you do this. I wish, I wish, I wish I had John on Sports with Friends. That would have been such a better episode. Instead, so many great people and broadcasters and writers came on this podcast to pay tribute to the man. I am praying for Pat. I am hopeful that she is in good hands. I just know that I was blessed to have known John Clayton. We'll see you next week.